Well, good morning. Listen, if you guys are that excited about coffee and donuts, I expect that same excitement for this sermon a little bit, okay? <laughs> no, it's okay. You can be excited in two weeks. The spirit moves better when you're full of sugar and caffeine and just all the finer things in life. Now, my name is Garen Holt. I am the Next Steps pastor here on our staff. And this is week four of our series in the book of Hebrews. Now, in Hebrews, there are a couple of warnings that the author lays out for their audience. A couple of things that they noticed needed to uh, be addressed and a couple of things that needed to stop. Now, earlier in the series, we illustrated one of those warnings as rumble strips on a road. Now, if you've ever, uh, have, how many of you guys have ever been driving down the interstate, you know, you're texting and driving and you kind of, I'm kidding, kidding, I don't do that very often. Um, and so, anybody, for whatever reason, no, you're, you're driving down the road, right? And let's say it's on the interstate, maybe it's been a long drive or whatever it is, but you, you drift, right? And then eventually you drift out of that lane just enough and you hit that rumble strip. And then it's designed that you hit it, it kind of vibrates your car and it alerts you like, oh gosh, I'm, I'm not in my lane. And so you can steer your car back to the middle of your lane. Well, in our passage today, the author of Hebrews adds another warning, but this time takes it a step further. And I want you to imagine that this warning is more like a guardrail. Now, guardrails exist not just to keep you on the road, but to prevent you from falling off the road into something that's much more dangerous. Uh, it's like, uh, have you ever been driving through the mountains, right? Maybe you've ever driven to South Carolina and you've had to go through the Smoky Mountains or whatever, right? You're, you're driving through the mountains and on one side of your car is the mountain, right? But then on the other side is this steep drop-off. Right? And those are the places that they put these guardrails because they, they understand that, hey, rumble strips aren't enough. We're going to put this guardrail up to prevent you from falling off the road into something that is much more dangerous. Because you can hit a rumble strip and be fine. You can even hit a guardrail, and yeah, you're going to do some damage to your car, but ultimately, you're still going to be safe. Because the ultimate goal is to prevent yourself from falling off the road and down this mountain. And so we have these two types of warnings, these rumble strips and these guardrails. Now, throughout the series in Hebrews, we've been looking at the importance and the significance of Jesus. Because for many Jews during that time, uh, during the time of Jesus, they were having a hard time understanding how much Jesus really changed things. They didn't quite grasp uh, how Jesus fulfilled the law and changed the relationship between God and his people. They didn't quite fully understand how much Jesus changed a lot of their practices of their Judaistic faith. And so in Hebrews chapter 6 and 7, the author issues this warning. It's this warning to not fall away from their relationship in Jesus. It's a warning to stay away from slipping back into their practices of their Judaistic faith and to keep their eyes on Jesus and so the word that describes this warning, what the author talks about, is apostasy. Now, with this in mind, I have to share the title for this message, okay? I don't, I don't typically share titles for messages that often because they're really not that important. But the teaching team came up with this title, and this is probably my favorite title for a sermon ever. This sermon is what we are calling an apostate check with Dr. Melchizedek. Come on. That's gold. That's really good, okay? So, uh, with that in mind, uh, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, you know, last week, Eric talked about uh, the warning of spiritual immaturity. 
And what the author, the author puts it uh, like this, that we need milk, not solid food. That growing up in our faith is something that we all need to do. That we cannot become stagnant, nor can we just stay where we are. But we are to grow, as Eric put it, in the presence of God with the promises of God and his word in Scripture. And so this morning, I just want to read how this warning develops in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. It says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instructions about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so, right? We will move on. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. So I think we have to start here. We need to start with a definition of apostasy because I don't know about you, apostasy is not a word that I would use in in a daily conversation, okay? So what is it? I would define it this way. Apostasy is an abandonment of Jesus and the Word of God. But apostasy can look a couple of different ways, but you can't be an apostate if you've never known Jesus and his grace. Because how are you supposed to abandon someone if you've never known them? And so apostasy happens after you've known the goodness of God, after you've experienced the grace of Jesus, after you've known the forgiveness of your sins, that is when apostasy can can take place. And so you've experienced all of this, but now you are willfully, this key word, willfully stepping away from him. Apostasy is this idea that you've abandoned your faith completely. But we must be careful, though, because there's this tension that exists here. Because what what I don't want to do is I don't want to paint too broad of a picture of apostasy that everyone walks out of these doors going, oh, man, I've already sinned. I I can never come back to God. That's not what apostasy is. So I don't want you to have too broad of a view. But at the same time, I don't want you to have too narrow of a view of apostasy to think that it's impossible for you to be there. And so I want to clarify just a couple of things. The first is this. Apostasy is not just sin. Sin is to miss the mark. It's to live in a way that God never intended for us to live. But we all miss the mark. We all fall short of the glory of God. But we know that God's grace is sufficient and can redeem anything. It's this idea that you can't out-sin the grace of God. You can't change the openness and the love of God that ultimately that we can always return to God. And so when you read in verse 4 that it's impossible for those, that those people who knew God and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance, you must understand the author's not saying, hey, once you've sinned, that's it. Sorry. You messed up. You can't come back now. That's not what the author's saying. But rather in verse 4, the author is talking specifically about apostasy. And so rather, apostasy shows up in two main ways. The first way is what we've been talking about, this complete renunciation of the Christian faith that results in a full abandonment of Christ that you never return from. But the second way is this. Apostasy can show up in a falling away from key and true doctrines of the Bible. 
The example I would give here is, uh, is this. Uh, let's, say that, uh, let's say that someone came to believe uh, that the divinity of Christ is false, right? If you, uh, the divinity of Christ is a crucial understanding of Scripture because that's how His sacrifice is sufficient. Because if you remove the divinity of Christ, if you say He's not the Son of God, then Jesus isn't who He said He was. And if Jesus isn't who He said He was, then now we're calling Jesus a liar. And if Jesus is a liar, then His sacrifice means nothing. If Jesus is a liar... He's no different than the two men being crucified with him. And so apostasy can happen if, if we fall away from key and true doctrines that are taught in Scripture. But the author of Hebrews, he's warning. He's warning the Jews. He's saying, hey, you're not there yet. Did you catch his language? The author says, to those that have fallen away. He doesn't say you've fallen away. He's not saying, hey, you've, you've fallen off the mountain. Rather, he's saying you have not fallen off the mountain yet. Apostasy hap- hasn't happened yet. But if you continue to ignore the warning signs, if you continue to ignore the rumble strips, if you continue to ignore the guardrails, you will be living a life that has abandoned Jesus and God's promises. So he warns them, be careful. Grow in your faith. Now, after this warning has been issued, the author of Hebrews then gives two examples of great men in Hebrew history. Now, these two men were in no way living in apostasy, but rather the example is um, of these great men, even in their greatness, they still needed God. And the first example that the author gives is Abraham. Now, Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel, right? Maybe you grew up in church singing that song, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord right on. Anybody? Just me? Oh, a few of you. Okay, all right. (laughs) If you are unfamiliar with that song, you didn't miss anything. Um, Okay, so, but uh, Abraham is the father of this nation, right? Um, And so uh, he speaks about Abraham in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 16. Here's what he says. It says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And after so, waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and an oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments. Now, I need to remind us, whenever, we are, whenever we're reading Scripture, we have to remember that the Bible was written for us, not to us, okay? And so what I mean by that is that we are not the original audience of these letters, right? But rather, this, the book of Hebrews was written to the Jews, okay? And so, but we can glean from Scripture. We can use Scripture for a, a, a lot of different things, but we are not the original audience, but rather the Bible was written for us. So, whenever, um, whenever the author of Hebrews brings up Abraham, to them, to the Jews, Abraham was the representation of God's promise, right? And the story of Abraham dates all the way back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, or verses 2 through 3, God makes this promise to Abraham. Here's what he says. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Guys, this was the start of the Israelite nation. 
All the way back in Genesis, God chose Abraham and through Abraham established his people, established his nation. And so the Jews hearing this, all the way flashing forward, all the way to Hebrews, the Jews hearing about Abraham, they would have been very familiar with what Abraham represented. They would have been very familiar with the promises that Abraham represented of God. And so when the author brings up Hebrews, and, uh, and the author of Hebrews brings up Abraham and the promises of God, he was reminding his audience, hey, even, even Abraham, the father of our nation, even in Abraham's greatness, even Abraham could not fulfill the promises of God on his own. Because in Hebrews 6.15, he reminds us that Abraham, he waited patiently, and Abraham received what was promised. It doesn't say, hey, Abraham did X, Y, and Z, and in doing so, fulfilled the promises of God. It doesn't say, oh, Abraham did these three things, and God blessed his life with great prosperity. But rather, Abraham waited patiently and received what was promised. You know, I opened up with that story about the warnings being related to guardrails. And so, in relation to apostasy and in our passage, I think we have to ask ourselves this. That if we are saying this phrase, then, then we are probably hitting a guardrail in our life. So guardrail check number one, it would be this. It says, I can fulfill the promises of God on my own. If you find yourself saying that, both directly or indirectly, you may be hitting a guardrail in your own life. Now, there's this tension that exists here. So I want you guys to think for a moment about a pendulum. A big pendulum that swings back and forth. And I don't know if you know this or not, but we do this all the time. If we see a problem on one side, what do we typically do? We swing the pendulum to the other side in, in, in extreme measures. So, for example, let's say, let's say you want to go on a diet, right? You're like, oh, I've just been eating burgers and pizzas and, and drinking a bunch of pop, and so oh, I'm, I'm unhealthy with the way I look, and so I'm going to go on this diet, right? And so what do we do? We swing the pendulum to the farther side. We, we cut all the sugars, we cut all the, all the carbs, we cut all that stuff out, and we swing all the way over here and we're like, I'm just going to eat a bunch of kale and flaxseed and drink 17 gallons of water a day. And it doesn't work, right? I've tried this or whatever, whatever diet you're on. I don't really know what diets look like, obviously. Um, and so, uh, but we do this, but I've tried this, right? Where we, we just swing it from one side to the other. And then all of a sudden I'm driving home and I'm like, man, custard cup. Mm, give me some of that cold fudge. That sounds so good, right? And it doesn't work. Because we swing from one side to the other in extremes. And so for Abraham, on one side of the pendulum, you have a trying to fulfill the promises of God on your own, and it doesn't work. But then we swing the pendulum to the other side where we go, well, I'll just trust God, and I'm just going to do absolutely nothing. That doesn't work either. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is, what is the balance? Not, not the balance between these two bad things, but what is the healthy balance of of being able to try to fulfill things on your own and not doing anything at all? How do you find the healthy balance between these two things? It's found in what I would say, it's found in humility, obedience, and servitude. Humility, knowing that only God can fulfill his will for your life. Only God can fulfill his promises. But it takes obedience when God shows you what you should do. And it takes servitude this understanding of why you do what you do. You do it all in the name of Jesus. So you want to avoid apostasy? 
Know that only God can fulfill his promises. The second example that the author gives is Melchizedek. Now, if Abraham represented the promises of God, Melchizedek represented the priesthood. And he was seen as the best priest to ever live. I want to read Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 3 and verse 11. It says this, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. And he met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. And then verse 11 says this, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still a need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? Did you catch how the author portrays Melchizedek? He was this priest that resembled the Son of God. And if perfection could have been attained through the priesthood, it would have been through him. He was seen as this superior priest, this person that was close to God and held in the highest regard as Abraham was. But once again, despite his greatness, despite of how good of a priest he was, there was still a need for another to come. And this is where we find our second guardrail check. It's whenever we find ourselves saying, I can save myself. If you find yourself saying this, either directly or indirectly, you may be hitting a guardrail in your life. Now, you might be sitting there nodding like, oh, okay, yeah, I know that. I know, we can't, I, know I can't save myself. I, I get that, Garen. But I think we do this more often than we think. Because we, we try to save ourselves through all different kinds of things. But one of the things that we do is we try to save ourselves through, ultimately, through behavior modification. Right? We say, well, God doesn't really want this for my life, and so I'll stay away from it. And then we go, hey, God, look. Look, 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 look. I, I didn't sin that much this week. Are you proud of me? Or we go, oh, hey, God, look, look, look. Look how much I volunteered this week. Look how much good I'm doing. Are you proud of me? And we try to justify ourselves and justify our actions, and we somehow in our minds we've created this moral scale where it just says, well, if I'm a good person, then I'm, then I'm knocking it out of the park. But we can't do that because there's no amount of self-righteousness in the world that will save us from our sin. Now, is it wrong to, good, to do good things? Absolutely not. Is it wrong to stay away from the things that Scripture tells us to stay away from? Absolutely not. We should be doing that. But there's no way for you to earn your way to salvation, right? That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. That we are saved by grace and grace alone, and we receive that grace by placing our hope, our faith, and our trust in Jesus, Ultimately, it doesn't really matter what you do. It's what Jesus did for you. Guys, we can't save ourselves. And once again, I'm not dismissing trying to avoid sin. I'm not dismissing doing the things that Scripture tells us to do. But th those things will not equal to your salvation. 
We receive grace through Jesus and his gospel message. Because even Melchizedek, the greatest priest to ever live, wasn't good enough. He still needed to be saved. Because as we read, Jesus still had to come. And it's because it's the sacrifice of Jesus that it's sufficient. But once again, there's this tension that exists here in this pendulum. Even in the example of Melchizedek, on one side of the pendulum, we have trying to save ourselves, and we know that doesn't work. And on the other side, you have once again doing absolutely nothing in your faith, and that doesn't work either because we know that in James it tells us the faith without works is dead. And so the healthy balance is found in a life that is transformed by the grace of God. We know that we're saved by grace, but that salvation prompts action, right? We take on the commands of Jesus. We start to understand what his word says, and we submit ourselves in humility, obedience, and servitude. Humility to know that we can't save ourselves, obedience in what Jesus said, in servitude, in God's kingdom, in trying to spread the gospel. So as we reflect on all of this, I have two questions for you, two follow-up questions uh, that we can ask ourselves for what we'll call your apostate check follow-up. The first question is this, have I gotten lazy in my faith? I want to read for you guys Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. It says, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So how do you avoid laziness in your faith? It's through faith and patience to receive what God has promised, just as Abraham did. Abraham, in his, in his example, waited patiently. And the second question is this for your apostate check follow-up. Am I letting Jesus transform my life? Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 25 says this. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Guys, there's no need for another priest to come because Jesus lives. He's always there to intercede for us. So how do we allow him to do that? By coming to him, by trusting in him, by following him. And so if you find yourself being lazy or not allowing Jesus to transform your life, then heed the warning of Hebrews 6 and 7. Don't fall away. Don't abandon your faith, and don't abandon the truth of Scripture. Guys, apostasy is dangerous. It's when someone has ignored the rumble strips, they've ignored the guardrails, and they have fallen off the mountain at the most dangerous spot. Or in other words, they are actively living against God. They have abandoned Jesus in his words. Now, sadly, this is going to continue. I wish I could say, well, if you just do these three different things, then apostasy will dissipate. It'll just stop to exist. But Jesus spoke of apostasy um, and spoke of the end times in Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 24. He says this, 
He says, at that time, the end times that Jesus is talking about, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Apostasy is going to continue. But our role as the church, as believers, is that before that time comes, is to combat apostasy. And we do this by standing firm in our faith. We know what our foundation is. It's the gospel message of Jesus. And so I stand firm in my faith so that I will not be swayed by false teaching. I do this. I combat apostasy by keeping my eyes on Jesus. I combat apostasy by pointing to people to his goodness, to how great he is. And we do this by ultimately accomplishing our church mission statement, which is to help each other follow Jesus. May that be what we do. May we combat apostasy by helping each other follow Jesus. And guys, I don't, I don't know where you are this morning. There's a lot of people in here. There's a lot of people joining us online. But I want you to hear this. There's this warning that exists, and we need to be careful of it. But if you're in a place where you are desiring a relationship with God, even if you've known you've made some mistakes, if you want to return to Jesus, you can. You're not living in apostasy. You have not fallen so far away from God that you can't be forgiven. Now, I understand maybe you're sitting there going, well, Garen, that all sounds really, really nice, but you, you don't really know what I've done. You don't know how much bad I've done in my life. And you're right. I don't know. But God does. And he loves you. Well, yeah, but Garen, I, I mean, I've kind of grown up in church, and I've, I've done all this. I've done this whole thing before, right? I've, I've recognized my sin. I've repented of it. I've received the forgiveness of my sin, but I find myself right back in the cycle again. I find myself being full of sin once again, and I've done this time and time again where I sin, I repent, I receive forgiveness. I sin, I repent, I receive forgiveness, right? And we do this over and over and over again. How, oft, how much more is God going to actually forgive me for the same thing that keeps showing up in my life? And I would ask you this, are you in a position to decide when God's grace stops? Do you have the authority to say, well, here's the line where God won't forgive you anymore? That's not for us to decide. Because we know that God's grace is relentless. It doesn't stop. He will continue to love he will continue to forgive. But just as the author of Hebrews wrote this warning, I would warn you too, don't ignore the rumble strips. Don't ignore the guardrails. Recognize them and get back on the road. Embrace those three things that we've talked about. Embrace humility, obedience, and servitude. But Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9 is a key verse for us. It says, even though we speak like this, talking about the warning, even though we speak about the warning, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. You're not there yet. 
The author of Hebrews was convinced of better things in their case. And I'm convinced of better things in your case too. Because if you want a relationship with Jesus, you are not so far gone to where it's impossible for you to come back. That is the clear line of apostasy. Repent, return to God, and be transformed by his grace. Let's go ahead and move to our time of response. This morning, what I want you guys to do is this. I want you to reflect on this question. Do you trust the sufficiency of God's grace? When I step back and I think about apostasy, when I think about that warning of falling away and living a life in complete abandonment of Jesus, because like I said, apostasy happens after you've known Jesus. You can't abandon someone you don't know. When I think about doing that, it really comes down to a lack of trust in the grace of God. Because if you've known the grace of God, if you've been transformed by the forgiveness of your sins through the sacrifice of Jesus, if that is where your faith is, do you trust the sufficiency of God's grace? Because I don't know about you guys, but the fact that I have security in my salvation and that my eternity is secure in Jesus, that is everything to me. It is absolutely everything, knowing that no matter what I've done, no matter what I'm going to do, that grace will cover it. And guys, I've made some big mistakes in my life, but I know that God's grace is greater. And so if you desire a relationship with Jesus, man, place your faith today. We call this our time of response, and that's intentional because we respond in a few different ways, and one of those ways is through communion, and so if you have your elements, I encourage you to get those out. And whether this is your first time joining us or your thousandth time joining us, if you have a relationship with Jesus, then you are invited to take communion with us today because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat down with his disciples and he had a meal. He reminded them, he started, he took, they took communion together and he reminded them that the body represents, or the bread represents his body that was broken. He said, take and eat. And likewise, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for you. Take and drink. do this in remembrance of who Jesus was and what he did for us. And we thank God for the sufficiency of his grace that does not know bounds. We respond in a few different other ways. 
we respond by singing songs. And so as, um, as we prepare to do that, just know these are not words on a screen for you to just read, but they're there so that we can sing, that we can exalt the name of Jesus together as his church. And so we invite you to sing. We invite you to raise your hands as a sign that Jesus is above everything else in your life. And we respond through giving of our tithes and our offerings. You can do that through our app or you can do that in the give and respond boxes on your way out. But we respond because God has been generous with us. He is generous with his love and with his grace. And he has blessed our lives in so many different ways. And so we choose to give back. But we respond through prayer. We respond through reading of his word. And so whatever this time needs to look like for you, if you need to sit and pray, do that. If you need to stand and shout, do that. But let us reflect, let us remember the goodness of God. Let us remember the sufficiency of his grace. And let us heed the warning. Let's not avoid the rumble strips. Let's not avoid the, uh, ignore the guardrails. But rather, let us continue to grow in our faith because we know that a growing faith changes us. Would you guys stand and let's go ahead and pray together as we prepare to worship. Lord Jesus, thank you for your humility and your obedience. God, we know that you humbled yourself to death, to even death on a cross. And in that sacrifice, in that perfect, sufficient sacrifice, we can receive your amazing gift called grace and we start by placing our faith in you. And so God, may we be humble, may we be obedient, and may we serve you, Jesus. God, you're good, we trust you, we love you, and we thank you for this chance, this opportunity that we have to bring our worship to you in this moment. Right.